Each new challenge also provides a new opportunity for us to reinvent the industry and reconsider ways in which we've done things in the past. This is why the registry continues to provide industry insights through personal interviews with the leaders who are shaping real estate each and every day. By subscribing to our podcast, you are helping us in our work, and we will continue to deliver programming such as the one you're about to hear. Please click the subscribe button and let your friends and colleagues know about us. It will help you and the industry stay ahead of the game. On today's podcast, we have the pleasure of talking with Shelley Wright, Unispace's recently minted first Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer. Shelley brings a background that fuses advocacy, business, real estate, and communications, and has worked with the companies such as Procter & Gamble, Southeastern Grocers, and Morgan Stanley to advance their DEI programs, having established relationships with organizations such as GLSEN, GLAD, Human Rights Campaign, and Interfaith Alliance. But if you seem to know Shelley's name, it's because before taking this role, she was a renowned country music artist and activist for LGBT rights, but also working with military members and veterans, which she'll reference in our conversation today. Welcome to the podcast, Shelley. Shelley, good morning. How are you? Hi, Vlad. I'm great. Good morning to you. And how are you? I am doing well. It's, uh, as I said just before we started this call, it's Friday and it's a, it's a happy day for me. So I, I like Fridays. <laughs> Fridays are, you know, they they feel really good. Uh, and, and at this point, I feel like we all kind of know that we've earned that Friday kind of exhale. Exactly. So uh, may we have that yeah. in confidence that we've earned it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, Shelly, where do we find you today? Where are you? I am in my apartment on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. I'm actually sitting in the living room of our apartment and looking out the window and seeing the most beautiful dogwood tree in Central Park. All right. So I've got a good view. I'm looking at something great and I'm talking to someone great. Oh, thank you. There we go. Thanks so <laughs> much. Yeah. Well, Shelly, by way of introduction, tell us a little bit about, you know, your background and sort of how the, you know, winding road of your, uh, you know, career led you to Unispace. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone's journey is interesting. I really do. I think everyone should uh, write a memoir about their life, and because at the heart of everyone's uh, journey is, you know, it's there are some twisty roads, and you know, my my life has been interesting. I think, you know, I started. Uh, I grew up on a farm in Kansas, and uh, moved to Nashville, Tennessee, which is you know the heart of country music. Yeah. And I moved there when I was eighteen. With stars in my eyes, uh, as everyone kind of does, to, you know, with an aspiration of, uh, you know, writing songs, getting a record contract, singing on the Grand Ole Opry. And, uh, you know, I was one of the lucky few that that dream, uh, you know, came true, you know. Um, So I spent a lot of years in, um, in radio and touring and making records. So I did that for you know, quite a while. And then I moved to New York City in 2008 because I was writing my book for Random House, Publishing House. And I just, you know, it's funny, I moved to New York to kind of find some peace, which is a funny place to go to find some peace. <laughs> yes, I would say. <laughs> but I did. I moved to, um, you know, I moved to, got a little apartment there in Chelsea and uh, knocked out the rest of my book. And then that book came out uh, a couple of years later, and I never moved back to Tennessee. Um, so I'm here. I'm now a New Yorker. And, uh, you know, my book kind of chronicled, well, it did, you know, told a lot of stories that I had to tell, but the kind of the 
premier story that that was the goal of that book was to come out of the closet as a gay woman. Okay. So having spent an entire career in the closet in country music, no one had ever ever come out in country music before, and so I wanted to be very you know strategic about how I came out. So I did, and and that began kind of the next chapter of my DE and I journey, my my storytelling journey, and uh, being having the chance to work with advocacy organizations, with learning institutions, with corporate um, entities on you know how to kind of change culture, how to affect real change, and and how do you implement change? And at the you know again at the heart of everything I do it has a component of storytelling. Storytelling is a powerful medium, and when you figure out how to do it in whether it's uh, you know the boardroom or the break room, uh, when you when you when you kind of get a taste of what that feels like to be a part of that kind of change management and change agency, it feels pretty good. And and so that's how I ended up at Unispace. Yeah, and you have kind of an interesting anecdote. Also, you were with somebody who also worked at Unispace back in the day, right? And it was uh, a comment that this person made about the the the, the CEO of the firm that kind of got you really interested, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Steve Quick is our CEO and he is, you know, I came aboard at the behest of Steve after a lot of conversation about like really getting this right. Uh, But my first intro into understanding that there was a person on the planet named Steve Quick was years before I was working with a colleague on another unrelated project um, his name is Michael and uh, Michael Kochi, in fact, and he and I were in an airport lounge, I think somewhere in Texas, and we'd flown down there to kind of pursue this other venture that we were doing. And he said, "Oh, Shell, I gotta, I gotta take this call. Hang on a second. I was like, "Yeah, you should fine. Take your time." He had this conversation. I could, I kind of overheard a little bit about it. I wasn't eavesdropping, but we were in the same space. And he he hung up, and and Michael said, "God, I love that guy." And I said, well, who you were, who were you talking to? And he said, well, my boss, Steve Quick. And he said, who's about to not be my boss anymore? And he said, I just love that guy. And I said, well, tell me more. What do you love about this guy? And he said, well, he's just, he's such a great uplifter of people. And he really, he has a team that he really wants them to succeed in their career, yeah. whatever their career path may be. And Michael went on to tell me that even though I'm leaving the company, He's still, we still, you know, stay in touch and he's still interested in what I'm doing. And he said he genuinely wants me to kind of win. And I made a note in my mind that, you know, typically when you leave a company and someone's about to be your not anymore boss, (laughs) typically the relationship kind of dwindles. And the fact that Michael Kochi said he's the greatest guy in the world, I just, I, I filed that away under interesting. I'd like to meet this Steve Quick fellow someday. Lo and behold, Steve and I did meet years later, and um, you know, I jumped at the chance to to do something with him because of kind of that front loaded. He's a great guy. Yeah, like, I yeah. went into my relationship with Steve knowing he's earnest, he's authentic. When he says something, he means it. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think those are things very difficult to pick up during an interview or a conversation, right? So that anecdote is really yeah. remarkable that you were even able to witness that. Tell us a little bit about, you know, Unispace and and the business it occupies and kind of, you know, what the company does, where it is, uh, 
you know, today, not just in terms of, you know, geographically, but in terms of, you know, the, the types of work. And then how did this role evolve? Yeah, so Unispace is a really unique company. And, you know, the more I, Steve told me about Unispace beginning in our dialogues last year, the more excited I got about it because it truly is a company that does something no one else does. There are other people in the space who do, you know, commercial uh, delivery construction, but we do, we are a true end to end strategy design delivery firm. So we do it all under one roof and, and we have something called our methodology, which is, you know, again, unique and dynamic and helps us deliver a superior premium product, but it also allows us to do it. You know, I don't know if you've ever done a construction project, whether it be on a residential place you own, or maybe you've seen a project at at one of the places where you've worked. Sure, It's labor intensive and there are many stages to it. And often kind of the, the, the projects tend to get really expensive and lack efficiency because one team has to then hand off to the next team. And what we do at Unispace is we do all of that together. And we, we begin, we, everyone is included in the life cycle of the project, which makes it, again, really efficient. It keeps our clients completely up to, up to, to speed on, you know, uh, the ever-changing, you know, we're going to change this. Okay, then, then we know the price of that. You know, we, we are able to deliver that information in real time to our clients. And it takes a lot of the speculation, the unknowns, the guesswork out of how we're able to do our work. So we have, you know, there are other companies who do one particular thing that we do and other firms who do another particular thing that we do, but we do it under one roof. Yeah. And so to, to answer your question, how did, how did the position come about at Unispace? Again, you know, kind of going back to Steve Quick and I having those discussions last year about, you know, how do we make this a more diverse, equitable, inclusive company? How do we, how do we, you know, adjust for any kind of culture deficits we may or may not have, whether they be perceived or real? And, and we just began talking about, you know, it started with, you know, maybe I'll come in and give a keynote or do a workshop about DE&I. And it happened to be, we happened to be having these conversations in the late summer when, I don't know about you, but I was not sleeping. You know, the pandemic was raging. Yeah. You know, it was a really a time kind of fraught with a lot of concern and anxiety and stress. So I said, Steve, send me everything you've got. I want to know all the materials you've got. And and I also went down the Google kind of wormhole. And the more I studied this company and what they do and, and, and their team, I said, Steve, we, we got to do like you, 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 this is a great opportunity to embed DE&I across all areas of business. And, you know, he hopped in and he said, you know, I'm 10 steps ahead of you. That's exactly what I'm thinking. He said, I don't want this just to be a workshop or a keynote. I don't want DE&I to be just a mission statement on a website. Yeah. He said, I want to really do it. And so, you know, with his under, you know, his guidance and, and his vision, uh, we, we, we erected, we planned for and kind of mapped out a real, earnest, comprehensive way to embed diversity, equity, and inclusion in everything we do. And it sound, you know, it may sound easy, but it's not. And as you know, it, it is as complicated, complex, 
and important as any other area of the business. And, you know, Steve sees that. And now under our, you know, we were recently um, acquired by PAG out of Hong Kong, yeah. led by Lincoln Pan. Lincoln gets it, not only gets it, he champions it. And Steve, um, this is this is a passion for him. And I, you know, I, I don't want to speak for Steve, but I will tell you that I believe that Steve is creating his legacy. And I believe that his work and what he does with Unispace will be the crown jewel in the in his body of work. So when Steve, you know, ultimately, who knows if if you know people like Steve ever really retire. Yeah. But I think at the end of Steve's career, what he does and is doing, he'll look back on history will record that Unispace will be the crown jewel of Steve Quick's legacy. Interesting. So part of this initiative, obviously, I mean, you know, comes from, you know, kind of a position of the industry overall, probably, I would say, lacking in some of this diversity, right? Um, You know, generally. So I'm curious to sort of see what your perception was when you kind of started these conversations. And I don't mean to sort of, you know, put anybody on the spot here. I think, you know, it is what it is. But I'm also curious, you know, how the industry overall has accepted, you know, this initiative, uh, not just within your company, but also just throughout throughout the world. Yeah. So to what you said a second ago, you don't mean to put anybody on the spot. I would lean into the notion that we must put ourselves on the spot. You know, I was part of an industry in entertainment for, for so many years that was historically you know, straight white men kind of ran the show. Yeah. And women were, you know, in terms of like who got recording contracts and who got signed to publishing contracts and who were the key decision makers in touring and sales and marketing and making records, you know, it's, 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 it wasn't a lot unlike, you know, real estate. And then in that it was it men, you know, and, and again, not to single out entertainment or, real estate, estate and construction, a lot of industries are are still kind of grappling with how do we make this more fair? How do we make it more equitable? How do we bring everybody to the table? So, um, it, but it is important for us to kind of get real about what our sector looks like and, you know, what our respective companies look like, you know, financial services, professional services, you know, the banks and, you know, different institutions like that, they've led the way in in DEI for years and there are some kind of histi- historically behind the curve industries and you know real estate and construction happens to be one of those the good news is we're having a, you know what i kind of call a reckoning because we are putting ourselves on the spot but i do i do think there is a reckoning um among you know a lot of things have, have happened especially in the past you know year to 18 months the world has changed quite a bit and you, we've got, you know, what some might call a kind of a perfect storm of negative circumstances that will surely, you know, kind of create and fuel some positive results. And when you think about the pandemic and you think about the political unrest around the globe, and when you think about, you know, like the George Floyd death and Black Lives Matter, um, again, it's we've all had to kind of put ourselves on the spot and ask ourselves hard questions 
not just in the workplace, not just in, you know, global, you know, uh, corporate scenarios and settings, but in our, in our homes, we're having to have conversations with our children, with our loved ones that, you know, may or may not share our, you know, values and our, you know, ideologies, our worldviews, but we are having to have these, these hard conversations and, 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 and certainly, you know, real estate and construction, we're having those. When you look at our peers in the sector, you know, JLL, CBRE, Cushman and Wakefield, those firms have been in this DEI space for, you know, a bit longer than we have, and in some cases, quite a bit longer than we have. JLL launched its Black Excellence Summit in, I think, the fall of 2020, but they've also had in place for a decade a women's kind of summit type leadership right. forum to to kind of make things more inclusive. So we are, you know, Unispace is really proud and, you know, to be in this space and to follow the lead of our peers and also to lock arms with them and be thought partners. And, you know, Steve Steve has some great ideas and 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 the deeper I get into, you know, conversations with my team and working on committees and working groups, our team has some great ideas and there is a huge appetite internally with our Unispace team. You know, we're not huge. We we're a team of 600 at this point, Yeah, but there is a huge appetite to, to kind of launch these initiatives. And I've been so heartened as we dig in and get in the weeds that, you know, we've, we've, it's not as foreign a concept to our team as, as perhaps I even thought it might be. And, uh, and there's a, there's a little bit, there's some traction happening. So it's, it's pretty exciting. Great. So tell us about that. Tell us about, you mentioned you have this five pillar plan, which is sort of your approach to integrating this uh, initiative in the organization. How is that going to play itself out? Well, um, I wish I could say that, that it was, uh, that it would play itself out, but unfortunately it is at times like pushing a rock up a hill. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that's that's the thing about initiatives like this, um, you know, creating real change in spaces where change needs to happen. You know, it does it doesn't come easily. And it, that reminds me of a, I, I was in the Middle East playing shows for troops years ago. And I remembered there was a, a particular general who was kind of talking us through what it what it looked like to operationalize change in these local communities because you know when we when you know when we go into spaces like that when any kind of military um activity happens in a space there's a there's a real need to understand where they are what they're doing what it looks like in the local communities and i remember the the general putting his hand down on a map and he asked somebody to pour and it was a map that was covered like laminated so there was no threat of ruining the map but he put his hand down and he said he asked one of us to pour a cup of a glass of water over his hand okay and i was like okay so i grabbed a glass of water i poured it over his hand and he said do you see where my hand is right now and i said yeah and he said see the water all around my hand he said underneath my hand it's dry i was like yeah and he said okay i'm going to lift my hand up Watch how quickly that area becomes not dry. Lifted his hand up, and then, of course, the water flooded into all of those spaces. And what struck me, the point he was making is the minute you take your foot off the gas, the minute you take your eye off the ball, the minute you take your hand you know, off of the map, 
those old kind of habits and practices and kind of that those culture norms, they just seep in and kind of undo the work that you were doing. And I, I think of that often. I think of the generals kind of uh, showing us that often in terms of DE&I work, we really can't take our eye off the ball. We can't take our hand off the page because that old muscle memory of, well, the way we used to always do it or as always, or that's not how we used to do it. That's right. That yeah. kind of seeps back in. So having, you know, having a DE&I person on board is great. It's a it's a great thing. It says a lot. But and unless or until the team helps operationalize and helps kind of put these things into play and we hold our leadership accountable, if we don't have that in place, it's the same as taking your hand off the map and and then and then we lose the work that we've get the the ground that we've gained. Yeah. So um so you know it it's it's really critical to have the buy-in from leadership and and not just they're saying, yeah, I believe in DEI, but they're understanding the business case, the moral imperative. There's, you know, there's a lot of work to be done and, and you know, there is uh we just can't take our eye off, eye off the ball. I know I've mixed my metaphors, but that's kind of <laughs> yeah. what I do. Yeah, yeah. And and so and so with this five pillar plan, where what what are these initiatives that you've identified? Yeah, so it's important for us and what we've laid out uh, to address is our workforce. So that has to do obviously with, you know, who we hire, how we how we look at mindful recruiting and mindful hiring. And the second pillar is workplace. So employee resource groups, you know, m- mentoring programs, actually teeing our employees and our team up for success. So not just hiring a black and brown person or a, an economically disenfranchised person or a service disabled vet or a gay person, not just hiring them to, as you know, as it's often said, tick a box, but to get them into the workplace and then develop a meaningful teeing up for them to, to help them be set up for success. Because if they don't have success, then that becomes a self-fulfilling yeah. prophecy, right? They don't make it. And then that circles in red kind of the notion that a person like that isn't suited or can't do well in this industry. So we've got workforce, workplace, supplier diversity, which is a huge focus for us. So not only do it does is it important for us to make sure that we are bringing diverse vendors and subs and primes to the table in our work in, in our work stream, but it's it's also become increasingly important for our clients because they have set their goals around you know their diverse spend and around their tier two tier two spend, which is you know if we are hiring if Unispace is using diverse subs and primes and and vendors, then that helps our clients. Uh, satisfy their, you know, very important goals around supplier diversity. And then the fourth pillar is community engagement. So Unispace is, you know, we're still a pretty young company. We're 10 years in and there are some great opportunities for in, in the communities where we operate, where we do business for us to really kind of embed ourselves in the community to find out what it is the, you know, the local arts and theater programs are doing, the local park initiatives, the, you know, local, um, you know, again, disenfranchised youth, what's going on in those communities and how can we very uniquely 
embed ourselves and leverage our resources, our innovation, our, you know, our brand? How can we leverage those to benefit the communities um, where we operate? And then our fifth pillar is, you know, I have to say that again, to, 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 to the point of Steve's legacy, you know, Steve very wisely said to me early on, change happens when entire industries lock arms. You yeah. know, it's one thing for Unispace to have a DEI initiative. It's one thing for, you know, CBRE, Cushman, JLL, and others in the space to have it. But change will really come when the leadership of, of those firms and our firm, when we lock arms and, and create change in the whole industry. When we, you know, again, we lean into something collectively and when we all push in the same direction at the same time, that's when we will see measurable results. Yeah. Part of that also involves, you know, debunking some of these myths as you as you and I talked about a couple of days ago, right? Has that been something that you had to focus on also? Yeah, I mean always, you know, and and it, again, it's not exclusive to Unispace yeah, or of real course. estate yeah. and construction. Yeah. But there are some in any kind of corporation that I've been able to work with or committee or with advocacy organizations, I, I've kind of gotten to see an up close and personal view of, you know, some companies are in trouble when I've, you know, when I've been involved in some kind of crisis management, ideally you want to be involved in a company that is not in a crouch position, right? They're not defending some bad thing that's happened, yeah. whether it be internally or externally, but without fail, wherever you are on that trajectory of really implementing change there there's myth debunking to be done and and i'll go back you know to to my time in country music you know the the and one of the reasons why i wrote my book is that that was all about myth debunking because you know a lot of the the fans in country music and some of the you know the kind of tertiary industry folks there was there seemed to be um, a lack of understanding that a person could be a person of faith a country music singer, a patriotic person who supports our troops, and a gay person. Yeah. That just seemed like those things don't go together, which is why no one had ever come out in country music, because you know it, it, one just felt kind of unsafe to be those parts, to have all of those parts coexist in themselves. So we have that in, in real estate and construction as well, those, those kind of myths about who, care, who, who would thrive in construction, who, um, you know, who really has a passion for real estate and construction and architecture and design and engineering and delivery. And, you know, what does that look like? And because it's kind of cyclically just been a lot of straight white, you know, guys, <laughs> Yeah. it again, it kind of fulfills, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Are black and brown and gay and, uh, you know, trans and, uh, you know, uh, you know, different ethnic people with different ethnic compositions, are they not in this industry because they wouldn't care about it or they were, they don't have an aptitude for it, or are they just not here because the, you know, the, the usual kind of cast of characters go, you know, kind of brings their friends from other firms. And, you know, we just kind of, it's a self-fulfilling yeah. prophecy. Yeah. And so the, the myth busting is, an everyday part of the work 
um, to varying degrees. And, and I've spoken at length with my, my peers and that do DE and I work and other kind of usually conservative, non-diverse places and industries and myth debunking is like, it's, it's like we should get a, like, a you know, we've got a toolkit that we go to work with every day in doing this work. And one of the main tools that, that, that you will have to pull out often is, is the myth busting tool. I'm going to go a little bit off script here. Uh, Shelly, what's, you know, really refreshing and, you know, remarkable to, to hear is how your experiences, you know, such a diverse kind of, you know, background, totally different background from this industry has, you know, led you to form thoughts and, you know, essentially set a set a strategy in, in, in a totally, you know, different space, if you will, right? And I've always valued that. I've I've always felt that nobody's born to to do something. I've I've always felt that it was uh, you know, kind of silly when, you know, companies try to evaluate you as they're interviewing you based on sort of the experience you have in, in that industry. I've always uh, felt that it's, you know, much more you know, rewarding and valuable when you bring somebody with a totally different perspective, because I think in it it enriches your your experience and it sort of makes your team stronger and better and just kind of a different point of view on 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 things. And I think you know just by hiring you, Steve already kind of set that in motion by you know bringing somebody who's coming in from you know from Nashville from you know, the music industry to kind of you know reshape real estate, right? Which is truly remarkable. And and I, I don't know Steve, but you know I would say I would say visionary as well. I love that you went off script here, Vlad, because it is you know I've, I'm 50 years old this year and. You know, and I've been doing, I did, I started in entertainment very young. I was playing in clubs and honky tonks from age 13 on. And that was always my, my goal was to figure that out. And, but at the heart of who I am is I grew up on a farm and, uh, my dad was also a construction guy, concrete, you know, I, I grew up around GCs and subs and primes and, and I understand kind of, you know, that ecosystem and how that works. And, and so by growing up on a farm and growing up around my dad's, you know, flat work construction industry, I learned something that is tracks almost perfectly. Um, and it ended up tracking perfectly in, in entertainment as well. Um, my parents mantra to us kids was plan your work and work your plan. So strategy always matters. I don't know if you've grown up around farming at, at all, but there's a definite strategy to it. Yeah. And there are some real kind of finite things that have to be done. But there's, uh, you know, there are different strategies and, and approaches you can take. And, you know, in watching my dad deal with construction, you know, guys and farm guys um, and, you know, farm girls, my sister and I were quite active on the farm. Yeah. I, I noticed that, that the through line is people. The through line is, you know, not everybody, like you said, not everybody is born with a skill set, right? They, they kind of understand their aptitude. And then what, what really kind of determines what they end up doing is where was a spark? That's what right. sparked yeah. them? And so, you know, I grew up watching my, my dad do this work and I took the, you know, what I learned from farm construction from my dad and I implemented that into music. So I planned my work and I worked my plan. Part of that plan was move to Nashville, go where you got to go to, to get a record deal. 
and then figure out how to write songs and then figure out how to do this, then figure out how to get on radio, then figure out how to tour. And then by the time, you know, my touring machine was up and running, you know, I was in my early twenties and I was, I was the boss of, you know, 30 full-time employees and, um, and, and managing people. I learned very early in my career. That's my real passion. Um, you know, it's great to manage people and then figure out how to get a hit record and have a gold record. That's great. But at the heart of it, the thing that satisfied me the most was finding out how to spark for different people and help them. They may have come into my organization as say like a tour manager. And then because of that spark and that kind of free space to run and learn with support from their boss, which was me. Yeah. You know, I had several people come into my organization doing one thing, and then they learned that, no, 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 I want to do that thing for you. And and that those moments of spark and with support and career growth, attention, that set on course for them a new, you know, a new career path for them. So, you know, and and, and also I've still, I've maintained my love for real estate and construction, and I, I began you know, buying rental houses in my mid twenties, uh, which, uh, over the years, you know, all of these years, I've always managed my portfolio. Um, and it's always kind of been my side hustle okay. <laughs> that has, has brings me a lot of joy. Yeah. So, so it sounds like you're more into real estate than I knew. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, yeah. But I mean, that said, even if I weren't into real estate, I, I think I would have taken this position because of how often do you get to come yeah, into a, a company and an industry where change needs to happen and you get to have the chance to help deploy that change? It's, That's it's right. pretty exciting stuff. Are you able to do what you did uh, with your you know, previous life where you just you know, described about you know, setting that spark, turning on that spark in people? Are you able to do that at uh, Unispace also? Where, where are some of the kind of biggest challenges and opportunities there for you? To answer your question, yes, I feel so. I am so fulfilling to have the chance to have one-on-one conversations with our team to not just ask how are you today, but really ask how are you today? Like, yeah. where yeah. do you want to be? Like, how's this working for you? And what can we do? How can we support your finding your spark? And many of the people on our team are in their spark zone. They are in it. They are doing it. This is the career that they want. They're really gratified and and you can see it in their work. But in terms of like that kind of team building kind of mentorship, I guess you would call it, I'm feeling incredibly satisfied to get to do that work. And and I hope it is it is my sincere hope that Unispace will be able to deploy a a real kind of official mentorship program and and I hope a reverse mentorship program. Uh, I don't know if you know much about a program like that, but no, no, that's probably, tell me, tell me about that. That's a so regular kind of run of the mill mentorship program uh, takes kind of junior entry level folks sure. and pairs them with you know people in leadership positions to kind of help them find the lay of the land and hopefully help them find their you know their spark zone. But reverse mentorship is a really exciting approach in that one must always solve for the fact. If you're doing it right, you must solve for the fact that leadership also has growth opportunity. Leadership also needs to understand more about the teams they are leading. And so a reverse mentorship program will be ways in which, you know, when we are 
you know, we are trying now and really sincerely trying to make our workforce more diverse, you know, when we can take our junior associates, you know, white, black or brown people, queer people, when we can take those, you know, those junior level associates and pair them to be teachers to the leadership at our company, exciting things happen. A hundred percent. Yeah. And that, that kind of reminded me, you know, I, uh, my, my, uh, grandfather passed away you know a few years ago he was he was 94 he had uh, you know a very interesting life you know fought in world war ii uh, as a as a young man and was you know a politician afterwards and kind of you know worked oh, wow. in uh, all kinds of sort of different you know areas like that but i remember one of the things he told me you know you know a few years before he passed you know you're you're, you're you know you're learning every day you're learning right and and i've always i yeah. i've felt i mean sort of you know you know, blessed because of because of that experience, I've I've had this um, ingrained in me that you know you should be open to always learning because you know there is no point in time in which right. you stop accumulating knowledge, <laughs> right? Absolutely. <laughs> or there shouldn't be. <laughs> what a great life! Ninety four—that's a lot of years. Yeah, good, for good sure, thing. for sure. So, what what was his vocation? He went into politics, but what was first vocation? Well, his first vocation was actually he worked uh, as a um, as a uh, as a as a help on on a private yacht in the Mediterranean. Mm, wow. And so as a, you know, teenager, he would go work on these ships and, you know, help the cooks and, you know, and that kind of stuff. Our family's from, you know, the former Yugoslavia. Now it's, now it's, you know, Croatia, but he's from one of the islands. The islands were like, you know, the poorest part of the country, if you will. So yeah, similar yeah. to like, you know, a lot of um, Italians during the twenties, um, a yeah, lot of Croatians yeah. also moved to Australia and, you know, the U.S. and Canada and so forth. So young men, you know, made their, you know, you know, money essentially by either working the farm or, or in, you know, his case, they would go work on, you know, ships and stuff. Right. 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 And so at, at a very young age, you know, the, the sort of benefit of all of that is by the time he was, you know, 20, he, he knew Italian, he knew French, he knew English, right. Because he was exposed to all of these languages as a very young man working. And, and then World War II started, and he was, you know, one of the first to kind of join join the resistance, if you will, against the, you know, Nazis, right? So, wow. uh, so following that, he became a politician and you know, mayor of his of his town, you know, and that kind of thing. So, that's, that's incredible. That's a little bit of that, right? <laughs> so, as you're talking about your grandfather, my grandfather would have been about a hundred, almost a hundred years old uh, this year. He, he too was, you know, part of the, he was in World War II. He was part of the first infantry division. When, when I hear this about your grandfather, you know, my mind just goes wild with thinking, what if our grandfathers were in the same spot at the same time? Yeah. I mean, certainly, yeah. If fought in the European, you know, you know, theater as they yeah, call it, right. Um, you know, that's, that's certainly where. He was where... in France and. Germany and it uh, and uh, it, he was all, he was on the beach of Normandy is where he okay. got his wow. purple heart. Okay, Excellent. so so it's you know it, it, it and and your grandpa made a great point that what is that point where you stop learning? You know, right. I I, right. I I I think a case could be made that the minute you kind of shut down your curiosity is probably when the end of your life is is you know coming at you like a freight train. I agree. I agree. It's great to keep learning. And, and in terms of, you know, we were talking about the leadership at Unispace. Here's what's blown me away is they're, they're all really curious about how to get this right, about how to get DE&I right. Yeah. And yeah. I'm having really 
frank, you know, very different discussions with each of them one-on-one. But the, again, the through line is that they, you know, when you meet strong leaders like this, um, sometimes they don't, you know, sometimes people like this don't think they have anything to learn. And I, again, I'm just blown away by my, my Unispace team and that they all, they know that, that we, we can get this better and they really want to get it right. And, and what a great spot to, again, what, what a great spot to be in. Yeah, a hundred percent. I'd be remiss to sort of not kind of bring COVID somehow in this conversation, but not not to yeah. sort of talk about the negative aspects of it. But perhaps you know, COVID I think has really accelerated a lot of things throughout the industry, and not just this industry, but others also. How has it perhaps helped in your initiative? Yeah. Okay. A couple of ways. Again, were it not for COVID and the kind of that perfect storm we talked about with. COVID and political unrest and the, you know, the, the murder of George Floyd, were it not for those circumstances, I don't know that, that we would have seen quite the appetite for cultural change inside of kind of the corporate, you know, space. Uh, I don't know that we would have seen that. So who knows, you know, who knows what kind of work would be, would be being done in the space were it not for COVID. Work from home has disproportionately affected negatively women, people with multi multi generational living situations, black and brown people. So, in 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 some of those ways, it has that kind of those negative cascading events have kind of sucked a lot of the oxygen out of the room. Yeah, and it certainly eroded the well being of a of a a, a lot of people's workforces, frankly. But but again, that upside that, you know, I like you, Vlad, you're always looking at the, the silver lining like, like I am. The upside is, and you said it a second ago, this has really fast-tracked and accelerated a lot of change and discussion and dialogue probably would have taken a decade to accelerate. So, and, and especially in the Unispace world, kind of what we do what one of the things we're known for is how to create smart smart workplaces. How yeah. do we allocate space in a way that that helps teams do their best work? You know, when you think about Unispace, part of our brand is you know part of we're, what we're known to do is you know collaborate, and we help teams find the best space and create the best space to collaborate. So every Every corporation I know of right now is trying to figure out how to get back into work from office situations. And many of them are trying to figure out how to, you know, how do we reallocate the space we've got? You know, some some are, you know, lessening their footprint. I'd have to ask somebody who's more informed uh, and, and more well-paid than I to talk about what that looks like, you know, are people going to be using 80% of their workspace? Sure, are they sure. reducing, you know, I, I don't know, but there, there are metrics now that companies are, you know, kind of leaning into how do we create that change? If you ask me, Unispace does it better than anybody. So we are hopping busy. We are, you know, <laughs> our team is growing and it, and it, it, you know, I hate to, I'm knocking on wood, but I, I hate to, talk about the fortunate kind of benefits of, of COVID for anyone, because it's just sad. The loss of life, the devastation, the loss of businesses, it's devastating. But if there is an upside to be recognized, it's that Unispace 
it's like we've been called up to the show. Like we've been playing for a farm team and now we, now, you know, we're in the major leagues because everyone wants what Unispace has to offer. Finding a way to take your current office space, reallocate it, make it safer, better, stronger, faster, more nimble. How do we use technology? How do we use predictive analytics? How do we use, you know, our propeller model? How do we, how do we figure out how to bring people back to work for two to three days a week or whatever it might be? How do we get them back in, into the office to do their best work? As we uh, close off this conversation, Shelley, I, uh, you know, always try to kind of end on a, on a, on a, you know, note of hope. And so I'd like to ask you also, you know, what gives you hope given everything that's kind of transpired over the last 18, 24 months? What gives me hope is, you know, I live in New York City. I'm here among, you know, the greatest melting pot on the planet, arguably. You know, I've got, I've got two little boys. My wife and I have identical twin boys who are eight years old. And what gives me hope is we made, you know, we made signs this summer and stood in our mask, masks and held up signs to uplift and enlighten about, you know, in support of other, other people. And, and what occurred to me a couple of months ago was that our kids don't see that as other people. Our kids see that as their friends, their community. And when I see, when I ask my kids, you know, what, what that meant to them to go march with their signs or what that means to them, you know, what is inclusive, what does being inclusive mean to you, uh, you know, on the playground or what does it mean to you at school? They just have this innate kind of baked into the cake sensibility about fairness that I don't, that I know my generation didn't have. Uh, I grew up in a very white community. There were no black and brown people. There were no gay people. There were no, no other people that didn't look like me. And I, I think what gives me hope is that young people, they way, they get it way more than we did. And they, they just kind of lead with that sense of, you know, they'll run over to me and say, mama, that wasn't fair. And usually they're right. They are able to recognize injustice in a way that that I, I still have to work on. And, you know, they see, they see the world through a different and new lens. And I'm, you know, that, that gives me hope. Awesome. Shelly, uh, it was a pleasure chatting with you. Really enjoyed meeting you. Stay safe. Thanks, Vlad. It was great to talk to you. Let's do it again. Thank you for listening to the Real Perspectives podcast. Stories like these help us shape our understanding of the industry we appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. Please follow us on any app where you get your podcasts and tell your colleagues about us. Thank you in helping us spread the word about our work and the industry that is changing the face of business.